Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. How are you doing, Denise? I'm good. How about yourself? Well, I'm doing all right. I was just, you know, this is our little chatty show where we just kind of talk off the cuff. And I was thinking about, you know, what do we want to chat about today? And I was thinking about all these emails we've been getting and Facebook messages from listeners who are saying that they just feel so tired and so lacked of energy and just, I don't know, a funk, a general funk seems to be being felt by so many of our listeners. And I completely get that. And I know you do too. And so I thought we could just kind of chat about that and where we think this is coming from. That sounds wonderful. Well, it made me go to, so what I try to do about every other year is reread The Course in Miracles, because that book has really helped me so much. And if you guys haven't heard of The Course in Miracles, um, it was written decades ago. It was um, allegedly channeled by a woman who taught at Columbia University, a professor who was an atheist. And I believe someone challenged her to defend her atheism. And so she was looking into meditation and things like that. And and she ended up uh, saying that she connected with Jesus and channeled this book, The Course in Miracles. So, you know, whether you believe in all of that or not is is neither here nor there, because to me, the information that the book presents is is life-changing. Do you agree? I do. And a lot of people have, I've, I've read it, I've gone back to it. To me, it's not an easy read. It, it's very, I can take little tiny bites of it. I can't just sit and read for a long period of time. And I have to really process what I'm getting because some of it's kind of cryptic. And who wrote the book? Was it Alan Cohen that wrote a book a couple of years ago on the Course in Miracles Made Easy? And I read that as well. And it did help because it. I think part of it is because it is very focused on Jesus or, or religious, it feels kind of religious, that that can be difficult for some folks. But the way he explained it was it's not, you have to realize this is about source energy. This is about all that is. It's not specific to one religion over another. Oh, that's good to know. I just got that book in the mail. Yeah, I liked it. It really helped. I'm the same as you. I have to read this in sections, like one to three pages a night. And then Mm -hmm. I have to digest it the next day and then read the next. So it really does take me an entire summer to reread The Course in Miracles because of that. But anyway, there was this one section that made me think about a possible answer to some of those emails we've been getting from listeners where he's talking about all of our exhaustion comes from judging, judging ourselves or judging others. So I just want to read a section from it. It says... You are very fearful of everything you have perceived, but have refused to accept. You believe that because you have refused to accept it, you've lost control over it. This is why you see it in nightmares or in pleasant disguises and what seem to be your happier dreams. Nothing that you have refused to accept can be brought into awareness. Now, here's the important part. When you feel tired, it is because you have judged yourself as capable of being tired. When you laugh at someone, it is because you have judged him as unworthy. When you laugh at yourself, you must laugh at others, if only because you cannot tolerate the idea of being more unworthy than they are. All of this makes you tired because it is essentially disheartening. You are not really capable of being tired. 
but you are very capable of wearying yourself. The strain of constant judgment is virtually intolerable. It is curious that an ability so debilitating would be so deeply cherished. Yet if you wish to be the author of reality, you will insist on holding on to judgment. You will also regard judgment with fear, believing that it will someday be used against you. This belief can exist only to the extent that you believe in the efficacy of judgment as a weapon of defense for your own authority. God offers only mercy. Your words should reflect only mercy, because that is what you have received, and that is what you should give. Isn't that powerful? It's very powerful, and it also aligns beautifully with exactly what's going on in the world right now. With I was speaking with a friend earlier this morning about the judgment part of people are so aligned with what their own personal truth is to the exclusion of being open at all to someone else's reality or belief system. And that's becoming more and more pronounced, which if we're going along with this, well, with what you just read, would be a natural catalyst for fatigue and exhaustion and overwhelm. Everything right now is so divided and that all of that division comes from judgment. Right. And then taking it to a personal level is so many of us through our lives and on, you know, into neutral over these last several months because we were home or our job shifted or our, our living situation, all these things that have been going on. And now the world is starting to peek open a little bit. And well, God willing, because of everything else that's in shift right now. But there's a judgment of, oh, I didn't lose that 20 pounds or I didn't re- rebuild my house or I didn't like there, there's that self uh, recrimination of did I make the most of my time when I was able to have a little more autonomy with my schedule. Do you remember that meme or quote that went viral in the pandemic that said, if you haven't used this time to exercise or learn a new language or I don't know, learn how to stand on your head in four different countries at the same time. <laughs> the problem wasn't time. It was you. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, I was like, please stop, you know, just stop this feeling that we have to do, be, go. And it's exhausting. So I've tried to not ignore the judgment and division going on in the world, but I've tried to instead focus within because I really believe that we can't fix the world. We can't fix anyone. We can only work on ourselves. And so looking at how we judge ourselves each day, each moment, I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't even kept reading in The Course in Miracles a whole lot since I read this section because I've chosen instead to just take some time to really journal and think about this and try to pay attention to how often I'm judging myself. And, you know, I had to do some research for something I'm writing on astral travel. And there's this there's this man, I believe he's from Switzerland, who is YouTubing a lot about his astral travel experiences And I think he's working on a book about it as well. And one of his YouTube clips, he was saying how he was astral traveling, which is where you project your soul out of your body and journey to different dimensions. And he was astral traveling to one of the lower levels. And he saw a man being eaten alive by millions of maggots. And he heard this voice inside his head that said, this is an illusion. 
it represents what this man does to himself in the physical realm with his thoughts and judgments. Wow. I know. I was like, wow, how many of us are doing that? You know, if we could give physical forms to our insecurities, our judgments, our feelings of lack, how many of us would have those maggots? Right. And, and you know, how my, many of well, and how many of us are so much harder on ourselves than we'd ever be on anyone else we care about? Oh, I'm raising or my, anyone in general. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's pervasive. And I think sometimes it can be generational, it can be taught. My sister and I were going through all my dad's financial files, trying to get all of his stuff in order. And we found this piece of paper that said, hi, if you're reading this, I'm dead. But please don't worry. I will still help you figure this all out from heaven. And then in parentheses, he wrote, if I'm lucky enough to make it there. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rest of the document had all his emails and his financial account numbers and passwords. But it made me so sad that my dad, who I feel has led such a lovely life, would say, you know, if I make it to heaven, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It just, it really stayed with me. So I think that often that sense of judging ourselves can be taught to us by our families and by our religions. You know, I know when I go to church, so often the priest does not lift me up. He makes me feel guilty. I walk out of there thinking, oh, I should be donating more. I should be volunteering more. I should, 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 should. It's ridiculous. I think anytime we go to a place for spiritual renewal, we should be uplifted. But, you know, there's another judgment. (laughs) (laughs) So he also says in this book, the choice to judge rather than know is the cause of loss of peace. Judgment is the process on which perception, but not knowledge rest. And I think that's really interesting. When we judge someone or we judge ourselves, we're not judging knowledge. We're judging the perception of that person or the perception of ourselves in that moment. It's a very good point. It's an incredibly good point. And so much of it is about perception and which goes back to we all have our own unique way of, of looking at the world, of processing our own background or the way we're wired. All of those factors come into play, but it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to forget that. And he says, judgment also involves rejection. What has been perceived and rejected, judged and found wanting, remains in your mind because it has been perceived. One of the illusions from which you suffer is the belief that what you judged against has no effect. This cannot be true unless you also believe that what you judged against does not exist. You evidently do not believe this or you would not have judged against it. In the end, it does not matter whether your judgment is right or wrong. Either way, you are placing your belief in the unreal. Oh, and see, those are the kind of things I have to read over and over again. To kind of, I'll have to read it and process it and then take it to the next level. That, that's very, uh, it, do you, do, were you able to get that on the first time you read it? No, probably not. Okay. But, and, and I probably still don't. But what I think it means is that we are judging all the time 
And yet we're flippant about it because we think, well, what do I matter? What does what I think matter? Oh, so what if I judge this person? That's that's my belief. That's my opinion. Move along. But right. I feel like what he's saying here is it does matter because you're contributing to the illusion of this matrix that we all live in. And the more energy and judgment we give to this illusion, the stronger the illusion gets over the reality of what is. It's a lot to think about. Well, it is a lot to think about, but I think it's important to consider. And I think it's important. This is why I, I really think meditation or, you know, screw meditation, just silence is important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I don't think you have to read a book on meditation to understand what I'm about to say, but if we remove from our lives all the distractions we incorporate into our daily life to numb ourselves to some of the thoughts and feelings and emotions that are trying to bubble and burst out of us, and we allow ourselves instead moments of silence where we can really start to reflect on how we are treating ourselves, thinking about ourselves, talking about ourselves, feeling about ourselves, I think many of us will start to realize that so much of that is nothing but judgment. And what that paragraph that I just read is saying is you might think none of that matters. It's just your thought. It's just in your head. But it does matter because thoughts are energy. And science has been able to prove that. Thoughts are things and they really do matter and they really do affect us, our cells, our energy, our aura, and the world around us. Right. And that's, and I think even more on a personal level than we may realize. So we always are concerned, what are you putting out into the world? But equally, what are you putting into yourself? Yes. And what are you taking from yourself when you choose to judge yourself? Right. Now, I have a friend who's very, very religious, um, not my religion, a different form, but very committed and devoted, teaches and studies it all the time. And so I like to go to her with questions. When I first read The Course in Miracles years ago, I, this still stuck out at me back then. And I remember saying to her, what do you do about judgment? You know, because the Bible says, don't judge, you know, cast the first stone, blah, blah, blah. So what do you do about that? And she said, oh, I just judge away. She said, if you think about it in the Bible, God judges all the time. Oh, and she pointed out all these examples, mainly from the Old Testament, where, yeah, he was a judgy dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, that, that really tripped me up and sent me down a really weird spiral. And so I went to talk to uh, my priest at the time, and he said, well, you know, Samantha, that's why in, in our church, we tend to focus more on the New Testament, because we believe that the Old Testament God was conceived of through the minds of the people in that time. And just as it's really hard to look at history through 21st century glasses, you know, you can't really uh, do that with the Old Testament as well. And so we believe that the New Testament was a gift to us to help us understand the truth of God. But either way, it's, it is very confusing because we do see God judging in the Old Testament all the time. And we see people around us judging all the time. And then we judge all the time. I mean, look at Simone Biles, that lovely mm -hmm. woman in the gymnastics team, the debates I'm hearing about her. And I just want to sound like an eighth grader for middle school and scream M-Y-O-B. 
<laughs> you know, mind your own business. You don't know what she's going through. Like, let her figure this out. I mean, the fact that anyone thinks they have the right to judge a world famous, you know, the best gymnast in the world. I don't get it. I don't get it. But and with this, the judgment, you have to get on the other side of it to get to self-acceptance. Yes. And how do you do that? Right. But I think that that's a pervasive part of what we're all going through right now is this transition is stepping into our own and saying, this is because at first I thought it was, you know, oh, you're in act three, you're in act one, wherever you are in your life path. But truly, it's a transition we're all making as humanity, finding our individual soul light and realizing we're one little spark of the collective. We're not, we have to learn to foster our own inner spark and keep that fire going in order to be able to plug into that collective and help with the transition the world's going through. Again, just my own personal opinion on this. But I think when you start to stop judging yourself, there's a vulnerability with that. Because if you're judging yourself, you can self-sabotage, you can keep yourself small, you can prevent yourself from stepping fully into your power, your light, your purpose, you can hold yourself back from speaking your truth, and you can think you're preventing yourself from failing at something when in reality, it's fear. Because you know there's, there's love and there's fear. If we really want to break this down to the two primary things, that's what there is. There's fear or there's love, and you, you make a conscious choice. And I think judgment falls into the fear category. Yes, I do too. And I think we have to look at all of our actions and thoughts in those moments of silence and think, is this coming from a place of love or fear? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's hard. I think most of the times it's hard. I know when I've gone through challenges in my own life, sometimes I get angry at the spiritual lessons I've learned. You know, like when I was dealing with my cancer diagnosis, I remember thinking, well, this is all fear. And damn it, I am fearful. And I'm going to just stay with this fear because it is scary. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can look at that and be like, I'm totally okay with this. I love that. You know, you can't. I, I mean, I'm sure there's some people out in the world who can. I can't. But what I found helped was just embracing that fear and sitting with it instead of pushing it away. And you were at a place in your life with with little babies, with all these other things going on in your life, and your former husband had had things going on. So it, there was also uh, such a huge impact on so many other people that counted on you when you yes. got your diagnosis. It wasn't. I read this uh, years ago. And I don't think I've shared this story with you. I moved to a town and I was working at a high school level and I was a special ed teacher. And I, part, a big part of my job was doing the testing for placement. And I tested this young man who he was a sophomore in high school at the time, cute as a button, charismatic, funny, you know, invisible disability kind of thing. You would never think that this kid was having any issues. And I did the testing and I went over it and I went over it. And finally I went to the meeting and I said, I'm sorry, I must have done something. I said that the test results don't correlate with how this, this young man is doing in his classes. He has A's and B's in all mainstream classes. I, I, but what I'm seeing, and I gave the results, and it, there were some very serious uh, learning disabilities and ability to, to read and comprehend. 
And the father just stared at me. He was kind of a gruff looking guy. And he just stared at me. And then he said, thank you. I've been waiting for 10 years for someone to be honest about this. And because he's cute and charming and can con anybody, they've pushed him through school. So anyway, long story short, the kid ended up, you know, getting the help he needed and going on. But the point of my story is I always had such great respect for this man. He'd always find, like if I was in the grocery store and I saw him, he'd come over and say, oh, hi, Denise, how are you? And, and we'd chat and I'd check in and see how his son was doing. I just read his obituary and he was in his late 70s now. And he, he said he got a cancer diagnosis a couple of years ago. And the way they were, it gives me chills every time they said, and they used his name, chose the courageous choice to live his life as fully as possible rather than spend the rest of his time facing a demon that would win anyway. And he chose to spend time with his children and laugh with his friends and fish at his favorite hidden spots and hug his grandchildren. It just went on about quality of life. And he had an amazing end of life and a very short time in hospice. So his experience in his late 70s, making that choice, was much different than if he had been in his, you know, twenties, thirties, forties in a family. So I, I don't know why that story popped into my mind with what you were saying, but I think it's about quality of life. And when we let go of the judgment and the fear, we're able to enjoy what we really came here to do in a way that we might prevent it from happening. Yes, that is really, really important. And we can't judge people for those decisions they make, whether it's to fight that demon or surrender to it. Exactly. Accept them where they are. And that, and that's that's so hard to do, especially when we love that person and we want them to fight. Right. And yet unconditional love is, you know, allowing that person to make their own choices. And it, it's hard. It's always hard. It's hard. I, I mean, I'm raising three teenage daughters who I think are beautiful and perfect. And I'll listen to them judge themselves. Right. They all, don't you love their hair? They oh, my hate, goodness. They hate their hair. They hate their curly hair. Oh, they're, they're stunning. All of your I, girls are so unique and they're all stunning. Thank you. I think so, too. And they're like, eh, I don't want curly hair. And so just on a superficial level, it's so hard to watch the people you love judge themselves but it's even harder to watch them judge themselves on an internal level about who they are at the core. And yet I think that we all do it. You know, Bill Murray has this famous quote from an interview he gave where they asked him like, what's your philosophy of life or something like that. And he said, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And anytime he has a problem, he just says, it doesn't matter. And I, I think about that a lot you know, does it matter in the long run or doesn't it matter? I mean, think about a challenge or a trauma that you've been through. Could you look at it, Denise, and say, doesn't matter? No, not at this. You mean in retrospect or while it's happening? Both. In retrospect, I can always find uh, what it led to or why, what I learned from it, or even if it, and, and I'm, big on not holding, like, I, I don't hold on to that, that bitter little seed and just keep, keep watering it and keeping it alive. I'll get to the point where I'm able to let it go, which I'm eternally grateful for because I've seen other people that I've observed in my life that they'll have a traumatic experience and they'll 
let that define them for the rest of their time on the planet rather than finding a way to make peace with it. Bad shit happens to all of us. And we don't have a, this goes back to what you were saying about judgment. What I consider absolutely horrific in my life, you might say, oh my gosh, that's nothing. What's she so worked up about? Whereas to the person experiencing it, it's, it is real and true and deep and as, as intense as, as what they're feeling. Yes. Yes. And sometimes it can be hard to hold on to that in, you know, in the moment that we're in and not judge them or say, well, you think you have it bad and have that whole little competition thing that a lot of people do, which is just as messy. But I think it's interesting to wonder, you know, in the scheme of things, does this matter? I think in the moment it does. And I think upon reflection, you can see that it did contribute to your soul growth, but maybe in the overall picture of life, you know, it doesn't really matter. I don't know. I have to still wrestle with that. Because in the moment, sometimes it's really not, it's from, again, personal, not to say, what the hell is this all about? Like it doesn't, if it's so, because I think as, as sensitives, as the way we're wired, we'll think, did I do something to bring this in? Did I invite this in? Did I manifest this? Sometimes stuff just happens. Yes. Yes. And we have to accept it and we have to surrender to it. Now I had um, with my old, my old therapist, I haven't, I haven't been to therapy in a long time, but my old therapist said to me, you know, what are some things you really love about yourself? And I said, well, I let things go really easily. Like I don't hold on to that bitter seed like you were talking about. And I know you don't either, Denise. I said, I forgive others pretty easily. Now, this therapist was really tough. He wasn't like, a, here's a Kleenex and, you know, let's cry <laughs> together. It was really tough. And he said, I don't think that is a good attribute. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? Mm-hmm. And he said, I think sometimes when we forgive too easily or we let things go too easily, it's another form of distraction. It's a way for us not to confront the pain. Well, I think that's a really good point because, and then my immediately what came to mind was, is that the only way you could get through the situation to get on the other side of it? I was taught my whole life that your whole goal is to forgive. Mm -hmm. And then he's saying, or maybe I misunderstood him, but he was basically saying, you have to feel everything before you forgive. You can't just say, oh, I forgive you. You have to feel the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the pain, the shock before you can forgive. And if you jump to forgiveness and non-judgment, then you're not facing the reality. So this being human thing is hard. (laughs) It definitely is. And I think right now it's very difficult and getting a little more challenging every day. Yeah. I do too. But I have, you know, I'm very lucky, I feel in my life because I have friends from all different walks of life, all different faiths, all different sides of the political table. And I see their viewpoints that are vastly different from another friend's viewpoints. And I I really don't judge people on on where they are in those schemes. And I think it helps because I have so many different opinions coming at me. Mm -hmm. And one thing that troubles me about where we are in the world, and I know this is going to sound simplistic, Denise, but I think it comes down to TV. 
Because now that so many of us have dropped cable and we're not watching TV together, we get to choose where our opinionated news comes from. And we don't have the same, like there's no Walter Cronkite coming into our TVs at night or Tom Brokaw telling us what's going on from a neutral point of view. We get to choose where we view our world events. And I think that's really contributing to the division. And so the way I've dealt with the world stuff that you were just talking about is by just kind of taking a step back. And I just, I read it from different sources. I listen to my friends from their different viewpoints. And I'm just observing all of it. Because I think right now everything is so tumultuous, we can't really form an educated opinion yet. No. And one of the things that I've started to do when I, I do the same thing, I'll read from different sources. But if I start to read something and I feel myself getting upset, angry, judgy, uh, fear-based, I'll delete it. I'll move along. I won't, I'm not going to put myself through that. And it's not being closed-minded. It's being protective of my own, my own sanctuary. Because I, someone, oh, I know who it was. It was, remember I told you about the older man that worked in my classroom and we chatted yeah. every now and again and his wife passed. And so we'll touch base and I'll see if he's doing okay. And I talked to him recently and he said, Denise. And I said, what is it? And he said, I'm very concerned that I heard on the BBC that the BBC news feed that 84% of the people in the world get their, their news information from Facebook. And then he said, what is wrong with these people, Denise? What are they thinking? But, but truly, even if that isn't an accurate number, a lot of people are getting their news. And I'm saying that, you know, kind of tongue in cheek from social media rather than from a news feed. So when you say there's no Walter Cronkite, there's also such a, I mean, depending on what station you want to turn into, you're going to have the bias of the people that are reporting. And it's not reporting anymore. It's opinion. I miss the days when news was unbiased. And maybe there never yes. were those days and I just believe they were unbiased. Who knows? But I do miss those days. Okay, well, here's something else that's in that section on judgment from the Course in Miracles that I'd like your input on. He says, you have no idea of the tremendous release and deep peace that comes from meeting yourself and others totally without judgment. When you recognize what you are and what others are, you will realize that judging them in any way is without meaning. In fact, their meaning is lost to you precisely because you are judging them. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does to me too. I, I take that to mean that when you judge, when you're judging yourself or others, like he was saying before, you're judging the perception that you are creating, the illusion that you are creating in that judgment. You're not seeing them. Like it, when we choose to judge ourselves, we choose to not see our true selves. Right. And we're missing out on a lot. We're missing out on quality of life for ourselves, which goes back to that story I shared, but also on connecting with other people who, if we're limiting through judgment, we're not getting to know who the person really is. But then I feel like if we go to total non-judgment, our it's like there's this spectrum, right? And on the one side is like the super moralistic, judgy, damnation, hell, heaven stuff, right? And then on the other side of the spectrum is Aleister Crowley saying, do what thou will. Didn't, didn't he say that's the only law? Do, it, do what mm -hmm. you want? Right. 
So where's the happy medium? That's us, the happy mediums, but (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I agree, but it's, but you just made a really good point about morally, because that's, that's a, a very subjective moral compass is very subjective for people. What I find ridiculously offensive and not okay Someone else might roll their eyes and say, that's not a big deal, Denise. Why is that impacting you so? So the sub- subjectivity of it is, a, is another part of the discussion. But I think the extremes are really part of this key as well. And if you're on either end of the spectrum too far with what your opinions or your judgment are, because judgment also can be a, a positive term of judgment is discernment. And discernment is very different than judgment, but it kind of runs parallel. No, that's really, really true. Because he also says in that section, yourself is in peace, even though your mind is in conflict. There is no death, but there is a belief in death. So I think what he's saying there is that all this conflict so many of us are feeling with what's going on in the world and within ourselves is really in effect an illusion and that illusion does not matter what does matter is what is true and until we remove our self-recriminations we're not going to be able to see or embrace or realize that truth and it's going to prevent you from fully living your life with freedom and autonomy and direction because if you're judging yourself you're holding yourself back from truly living and going back to what you started with about the exhaustion and the fatigue. And I think because for for many, life has become a redundant pattern. There's a repetition. There's a feeling of slogging through the mud. And we're trying to break free from that right now. And and it's time for more fun and joy and, and not in a you know, avoidance kind of way, but it's been so heavy and so dense for so long that for many, I think it's become a repetitive pattern. Yes. And it's a repetitive pattern that we have to recognize. I have a very superficial example. I think everyone by now knows I'm pretty vain, right? Like I, I like to look my best. (laughs) And I recently did a video podcast with a lovely woman named Michelle and you know how awful I am at lighting when we do our webinars, Denise? I just cannot figure out those, those, that damn lighting system. And I had this window behind me. And so when the video popped on, I was like, oh my gosh, can we pause the recording? Because my forehead looks like the size of Texas and I look shinier than a 15-year-old with pimples. Like, what is happening? And she said, you look great. What are you talking about? And I thought, oh my gosh, like I was looking at myself on that video going, I look horrid. And she was saying, you look great. And I thought, which of these is true? Which of these is not? Does it even freaking matter? But if you apply that superficial example to some of the deeper stuff that rattles through our brain when we're trying to fall asleep in the middle of the night, what is true? You know, is it true that you're a failure, that you've got nothing accomplished, that you haven't lived up to your dreams and expectations? Or is it true that despite all the challenges and, and, and hurdles that life has thrown at you, you've survived and come this far and you're doing flipping amazing? Excellent point. But it also goes back to clown mirrors. 
you're similar to when someone has lost a significant amount of weight and then they look in the mirror and they see still see their heavy self or right. you'll focus right in on like when you were saying your forehead looked like the size of, of Texas or whatever, no one else would see that. But in your mind, that's what you're seeing. So that's really all that matters. And that comes back to the judgment part. No matter how much someone reassured you about how incredible you look, you weren't going to believe them anyway, because in your own mind, you weren't seeing it. Right. And then I think we're also given this message that, you know, we have to be humble and have to have humility. And so that can be hard when we're trying to pat ourselves on the back too. Weren't you given that message as a kid? I remember Sister Catherine, my favorite teacher, she used to always say pride goes before the fall, you know, the old saying from the Bible. And so she'd repeat that in class different times. And I raised my hand one day and I said, Sister Catherine, you're always telling us to be proud of ourselves, to recognize when we're doing well, to applaud ourselves when we remember to do an act of service or kindness. So then how can pride also go before the fall? And I remember she kind of rolled her eyes like, oh, here she goes again. <laughs> but she was saying that it's it's a it's a tricky balance. Like you have to be proud of yourself, but you can't let that pride overtake you. But that's always tripped me up because I don't know. I feel like women in particular are raised to kind of deny compliments, to reject feeling good about themselves. I mean, I'm sure men are too. I can only speak from my perspective, but I know if, if some, like when you just said, you know, you looked incredible, my first instinct was to say, well, she didn't say incredible. Let's not go too far, Denise, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? You know, because we have this, this lesson we're always being taught of like, you need to be proud of yourself, but not too proud. Because mm -hmm. you and don't I, want it to be ego. You don't want yes. it to come across as, pompous or self-righteous or, or all of those things of don't let your head get too big is an old expression people used to use. Don't get big headed about it. Don't think if there is a strict religion that came in with that or ancestral messages, is that something that's been passed down through your family? Is that abjunct humility? Yes. And I think many, many times it has been, you right. know, not don't get too big for your britches. Or if you have a sibling that really excels at something and you don't, was there a huge comparison? So you made your light a little dimmer because you weren't able to find what, what your special thing was because so much attention went to someone else in your family on what their accomplishments were. Oh my gosh, my sister and I were just talking about that. She and I, <laughs> we both love Jennifer Lopez. Do you just adore mm -hmm. her? I think she's amazing. And she just had her 52nd birthday and she was on this yacht with Ben Affleck and there was a picture of her in her bikini. And my sister was like, she is so amazing. Like she can do anything. She can do literally anything. And I was like, I know she's fantastic. And then I said, imagine if she was your big sister, like, wouldn't that be weird and hard? Yeah. That's our challenge is to find the beauty and the and the light that lives within us, no matter who our siblings, no matter who our parents are, no matter what our bosses tell us, we have to find that inside of us. And so I wonder if this section in The Course in Miracles is true, where he says, you would never be tired 
if you didn't judge yourself. It's worth a try, isn't it? How do you shut that off, though, after decades? How do you, where's that magic switch to, do you catch yourself when you're doing it and, and put in an affirmation? Do you uh, reword if you find yourself judging yourself? I, I think that that's something we could all think about. Well, I usually turn to Maya Angelou's words, you know, where she says, we all do our best until we know better and then we do better. I do, when I lay my head at, at night, I always have those thoughts running through my head. And I have since I've been a little girl. I used to call them the worry men. And I, I would tell my dad, the worry men are visiting me again when I couldn't sleep because I'd have all these thoughts like, you didn't do your homework, you didn't finish that math. And it's still the same all these years later. Did you pay mm-hmm. that bill? Did you forget to email that person back? Did you? It's exhausting. And then I think about Maya Angelou and I think, Samantha, did you do your best today? Then shut up and go to bed. (laughs) And I also think about her other line, every storm runs out of rain. Oh, that's a good line. Yeah. That one helps me a lot as well. Now, at the end of this section, well, he says that he talks about you know, one of there's so many stories in the Bible that really piss me off. One of them is the first one where Adam and Eve eat the apple. First of all, there weren't apples back then, but let's not go there. They eat the forbidden fruit. And and I used to always say to Sister Catherine and many others, why would he put a tree that's forbidden? If I mean, hello, if you've ever raised a toddler, you know you can't say, Hey, here's a plate of cookies. I'm going to leave the room. Don't eat the cookies. You, you just cannot do that. So that always bothered me. Anyway, in the Course of Miracles, he said, the fruit of only one tree was forbidden in the symbolic garden, but God did not forbid it. If he had, it could not have been eaten. If God knows his children, and I assure you he does, would he have put them in a position where their own destruction was possible? He says the forbidden tree was named the tree of knowledge. God created this knowledge and gave it freely to his creation. And then he goes on to say that the symbolism has been misinterpreted. Really what Adam and Eve ate from was this self-knowledge, this idea that we are in control. And he's saying that all peace comes when we surrender to this concept of a higher power, a higher source. And we enter what I call that universal dance, where we have to create our own actions, but also surrender to what the universe is giving us. What do you think about that? That the tree of knowledge is not this forbidden thing. It's this idea that we're in control, that we're in charge. Well, doesn't that go back to choice and free will? Free will being the ultimate gift we've all been given. They didn't have to eat from the tree. They chose to. Right. But he's saying that the tree is just a symbol for us choosing to believe in this illusion that we're in control. Well, that's that's another whole part of it is so much of everything is illusion. And I've had that come through over and over and over with, with my own writing, with different things I've talked to people, with things I've read. But I, I do think that we're not in control and that once you relinquish control, which is the premise of but uh, in the la- the show we did where someone had mentioned they were in a 12-step program, and that's the number one thing, admitting you- you're powerless. And it's often the first step in regaining your sense of self 
is realizing no matter what the situation is, you don't have a damn bit of control over it. But again, that's another mind warp. Yes. I won't swear because, (laughs) (laughs) because if you go too far down that road, well, then you're a Calvinist and you believe everything is predestined. And I don't believe that. I really believe that some things are destiny and some things are free will and all we're okay, here. Go ahead. But, but even when you get to the place of something that's destined, you're still making a choice because there's always yes. another option you could take. So they kind of go hand in hand. Yes. In every moment. Right. In every moment we have a choice of how we're going to act or react or uh, step in or walk away to either a free will situation or a destined situation. Right. Which it, we don't have enough time left to talk about parallel universes and things happening synchronously at a different time frames. But you know, when you think about, you know, the, the choice you made to to marry your former husband when you could have it could have been someone else, to have three children, to go back to school for one degree rather than another, they were all pivotal turning points that would have led you in a different path. Yes. But again, that's why I, that's why I love teaching people how to be intuitive and in touch with their empathy, because I think at all those crossroads, if you look back, there were so many signs, synchronicities and coincidence, coincidences that showed you this is your best path. Right. Or time and time again, or like some of us not mentioning any names, we, we, very blatantly chose to ignore, ignore those giant red flags on the on the incoming you know aircraft carrier with someone doing signs with the big you know waving the big flags so but but still we made a choice to ignore them well in all the near death stories that i've read and you know how i love to read those stories they all say that when they get to the life review part it's not some god or goddess or being that's judging them it's themselves Mm -hmm. and i think that is true in an in a life review process that we all will experience at some point but i also think it's true every single day you know there's not some higher power up there condemning and judging us and going well denise you missed that red flag so sorry i think it's us And so even if we do ignore a red flag and we make a wrong choice, we have to decide, you know what? You did the best you could with the knowledge you had at that time. I love you and I'm choosing to see your choices in love and we're going to get through this and we're going to learn and grow from this. And if we're given this opportunity again in this life or the next, we will have the knowledge stored within us to know to do better. That's a very healthy way to look at it. Much more balanced than the extremes of good, bad, you know, judgment, non-judgment. I like that a lot. Well, I think we have to do that. And my former mother-in-law, she's passed away now, Maggie. She always gave me such good advice and I, I miss her tremendously. One of the things she said when I had my third child and I was feeling a little overwhelmed She said, Samantha, one thing I always did, because she had three children in four years, just like me. So I was Mm -hmm. asking her, like, how did you do it? How did you manage the different nap times? 
And she said, I always gave myself one day where I did nothing. And she said, my poor kids, I don't know, they just ran around the house. They could watch cartoons all day. They could play in the yard if I sat on the deck. They could do whatever they wanted. They could eat whatever they want. And I would sit on the couch all day and read Sidney Sheldon or Daniel Steele novels. (laughs) And she said, that's what saved my sanity. And I think sometimes we should apply that to our whole life. We're Even if you can't, like sometimes the concept of not judging yourself for the rest of your life feels really overwhelming. But what if we just picked one day where we just didn't judge ourselves and we were just really nice to ourselves? Maybe that one day would have a ripple effect and it would build to two days and then maybe a week and so on and so on until we are living this life of true unconditional self-love. That's beautiful. And it's a good goal. It's a good goal. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that's, that's enough for right now. But we hope this has helped you to think about the way you are talking to yourself, treating yourself, and, and judging yourself. And maybe report back to us. Let us know if maybe taking a day off once a week from judging yourself and just saying, it is what it is. It doesn't matter. And I love you. And letting that be will do enough to start to lift and chip away at this universal collective sense of fatigue we're all feeling. And if that doesn't work, I hope it helps. We hope it helps just to know that you're not alone in this. We're all in this together and we're all going to get through this together. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember, as always, to show up, do good work, take a day off, and share your light. (laughs) Take care.